you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, as we continue and we finish our discussion and our preparation for this Christmas season, this Advent season that we've been walking through, uh, this will be the fifth week we've been looking towards this birth. And we think about Christmas and what it means to each and every one of us. And we understand that Christmas is a gift. It is a gift. It's not just a day where we share gifts with one another that we'll do today and tomorrow. It's not just a day that we just sit around the tables and we share a meal together with loved ones, as we will do plenty of times. The Christmas holiday and what it represents itself is a gift. It's a gift that is given by our Heavenly Father, our Creator God. And this gift took over 30 years to finally complete its purpose on earth after it was given to us. And it is also a gift that lasts for an eternity for those who receive it. Through this Advent season, we have, we've seen that this gift brings us four things in particular. It brings us hope and peace and joy and love, which are all four critical elements that we so desperately need in our world and specifically in our own lives. Without this gift, no one could have hope. But there's nothing that can give you hope in this world. Many people chase hope. They chase things that they think will give them hope, but it never does. Without this gift, no one can have peace. We know our world is not peaceful at all. Turn on the news. It doesn't matter if it's local, statewide, or national. There's no peace on the news. Without this gift, no one could have joy because everything ebbs and flows with the wants and emotions and desires of people. Right? Things change. Nothing's ever constant in our world. Joy is a constant that comes in this gift. And certainly without this gift, no one can experience true love. For this gift is the source of love, because God is love. This gift is unlike any gift that you can be given or received in all the Christmases you will ever experience in your lifetime. And this is the greatest gift of all. But what is it? How did it get here? Who gave it? And what do we do with it? Luke 2 gives us this Christmas narrative that we're all familiar with, and, and most of us can probably quote it to some degree. Um, it, it's, it's always the go-to at Christmas for many, many preachers. But within this story tells us the greatest Christmas gift of all time. So let's read it together. We're going to read Luke chapter 2. I want us to read all 21 verses, and then we're only going to break down just a few of them today in this simple yet familiar message. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, and all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. 
And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For you unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father God, we give you the praise and the glory for this narrative that we have just read, God, this historical narrative by Luke, telling us, of how our Savior came into this world and the message that was given to all that was received by the shepherds. God, we thank you that this message is not just for the shepherds, it's not just for those in that day, God, but this is a gift for us all today. And so I pray today that as we reflect, as we are reminded of this truth, God, for those who believe, may they find themselves worshiping you because of what you've done. But God, for the person who's not in here that may be lost, I pray today that they will find salvation and will join the saints in worship today. God, speak to our hearts. Let us hear from you. May all of this be for your honor and your glory. It is in your son's holy and righteous name that I pray. Amen. So there's some things we see about this gift of Christmas, this gift that has come to us. And the first thing we see is the gift is wrapped in cloths. Gift is wrapped in cloths. Look at verse 6 and 7. Verse 6 and 7 says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, Mary was told in Luke chapter 1 that she would bear a son. In Luke chapter 1, 31 through 33, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him uh, to him the throne of David, his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. There will be no end. So Mary was not just bearing any child. Right? Mary is, Mary is bearing the Son of God. She is bearing God's gift to mankind. And when the time came for her to give birth, to bring this gift into the world, Mary and Joseph were not in the best of conditions. We talked about this a little bit. As we know, they had to leave their home. They had to go to Bethlehem for the census. And while they were there, the process 
for giving birth began. There was no place of comfort to have this child. I'm sure they searched far and wide in the city of Bethlehem for a place to have this child, but there was no room, as Scripture says. There was definitely no palace, no royal treatment that would be given to this son of God. As Kent Hughes said in his commentary, this was the crudest of arrangements. Add the pain of childbirth, the lack of comfort, being in a place where the animals were kept, right? This is where they ended up being. And even there, and even on top of that, there was this clear lack of compassion for a pregnant woman in labor. There was a clear lack of compassion on the people of Bethlehem to help her out, to give her a place to stay, to give her a place that she could have this child of comfort. No, she had to bear this son, this Son of God, next to the animals. In a manger, placing him in a manger, a feeding trough. Not in a crib, not in a bed, not in the warmth of a room, but in a feeding trough next to the animals. This is far from ideal situation for all of us. In our own eyes, we would see that this is not ideal we wouldn't treat royalty this way, would we? And we don't. When royalty comes into our world, what do we do? We celebrate. All the news channels will go to the UK, right? They'll go over there. All the, all the news sites in, in America will go over there and, and try to get the first glimpse of the new royal child, right? That's going to happen. They're going to have all this pomp and circumstance over in the UK for a child to be born, and yet... The gift of Christmas, the Son of God, the royal King of Kings, came not in that manner, but in a humble manner. No comforts, no celebrations, no, no royal treatments. The Son of God came into this world and was wrapped in swaddling cloths, not the finest of linen. And they laid him in the feeding trough. In the manger. This is our King of Kings, church. Our King of Kings came and he's laying in a manger. This is where Christianity begins with no celebration. There lay Jesus our Savior as a tiny newborn baby. Lancelot Andrews was giving a Christmas message before King James. And he described Jesus as the word without a word. The one who laid the foundation of the earth is now laying in a manger. Again, it's a gift not wrapped in the best of linens. It's not a gift that's wrapped in the prettiest of bows under the most beautiful tree. It's a gift wrapped in swaddling cloths. And what does that mean for you and I? What does that mean for you and I today? It's that Jesus was Willing to humble himself. He was willing to take on the role of a servant in his first trip to earth. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes these words. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 through 8. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Jesus' birth told us what he was, going, he was willing to do. He was willing to humble himself, to come into the likeness of mankind, to put on the human flesh so that he could live a sinless life that me and you could not live. Why? So that he could be the sacrifice for our sins. He humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death. That's our Savior. That is our King of Kings. And that gift comes with good news. And we just briefly talked about it. This gift comes with good news. And the good news was given to the shepherds by the angel in verse 8 through 12. Look at what it says. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. See, the birth of our Savior was more than just a gift of a human being that comes into the world. No, this, this gift of good news. This is a gift of good news. This is a gift of the gospel. And the good news is that salvation has come to all who will believe. Salvation will be for all people. Go back to verse 10 with me. Verse 10 tells us what? The angel said to the shepherds, what? Fear not, for behold, I bring you what? Good news of great joy that will be for who? All the people. This is good news because mankind was filled with sin and shame. Ever since the fall of mankind in the garden, man's sinfulness has put him at odds with God. We have rebelled against our Creator God. And throughout the Old Testament, we see historical narrative after historical narrative of man's failure to follow God. And even after repenting and seeking forgiveness for their failures, they go back into it again. They turn back to God only to find themselves back away from God. After leaving the Garden, leaving the garden of Eden, mankind began to reproduce and more people came into the world. And because more people were coming into the world, the rebellion grew. And at one point, God said, I'm, I've had enough of this. So he sends the worldwide flood, destroys all of mankind except for one family, and it was eight people in the family of Noah. And the population grew again, and mankind began to turn back away from God once again, past the generations of Noah. And they decided that we can do things on our own. We can build our own tower. We can reach the heavens on our own. We don't need God. God came down in Genesis 11 and he saw that tower and he confused the people's languages and he spread them among the entire world. And they become their own nations where they become at odds with one another. And within this people of God, these 12 tribes of Israel, the same thing was happening. They had their own problems. They wouldn't follow God. They refused to trust in God and time and time again, God would have to get their attention. God would allow the enemy to conquer these tribes of Israel. And they would come back, oh God, help us, we need your help, God. God would help them out, only for them to turn once again back to what they were doing. There's this constant desire to do things how they want, because they think that's what's going to save them. 
If I can do things on my own accord, I can save myself. I can get myself out of this. We just do things how we want instead of how God wants it for us. Which we all do that. We all think we can save ourselves. We all think we've got the solutions to our own problems. If I only had more money, if I only had a better job, if I had a nicer home, if I had a better car, if only my husband would listen to me. Why have you ever said that? If only my wife would stop nagging me. Husbands, I know you've said that before, but you're not going to admit it. If only my kids would act better. When those things don't work, we constantly wish we just had something better. And they don't work. People then turn to substance to numb their pain. They'll turn to drunkenness and highs from drugs and pills. They'll chase sexual morality and they'll chase other things in life that they think is going to make them better. It's going to save them from their depression. It's going to save them from their anxieties and their worries. It's going to save them from the things they need, think they need to be saved from. And it might be turning to things that you think are innocent. Oh, this ain't that big a deal. But yet it continues to turn you away from God. But at some point, there has to be this realization that, listen, nothing in this world is going to save you. You could have everything you ever wanted in life. Listen, some of the most depressed people in our society are the most famous in the world. They're the ones who have the most money, have all the things they could ever want in life, and yet they're still depressed, lonely, and sad. Why? Because those things don't save you, church. Those things don't make your life better. Nothing can save us from the pits of our lives. Mankind needs help and mankind needs a Savior to come and bring salvation. And the good news is that the Savior has arrived and the message from the angel was given to the shepherds and the Savior that has been promised for many, many generations of the Old Testament. Many, many prophets have come and said, a Savior is on the way. Just hold on a little longer. Now the angel says he's here. He's arrived. And he's wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, shepherds. This sweet little baby would one day grow up to take on the sins of mankind, even to the point of death. But a gift would be given through his death. The gift of good news is that salvation will be available to all who will believe. And this gift of good news, listen, it's free. Romans 6.23 says what? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in who? Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, sin has a cost. Sin has a price. And the price is the death of the one who sinned. And death is certain, and we know it is certain because we are all sinners. We all are, every one of us. But praise be to God that He provided the payment with His one and only Son, and though it cost God His one and only Son for a brief moment of time, it does not cost you anything. The gift of good news is a free gift that you cannot earn by your money and your efforts. The work is done. All you have to do, as Scripture tells us, is to believe and to submit to the Lord. Jesus willingly gave up His life on the cross for all of us. And He overcame the death penalty through His resurrection. And now we can be free from the penalty of sin. And we can be joined back into a blessed union with our Creator God. And all He asks us to do is to believe. 
He didn't say you've got to earn it. He didn't say you've got to pay your dues. He didn't say you've got to be on this stature. You've got to be on this level. You don't have to do so many good deeds. No, he said just believe in the resurrection of my son. And submit to his authority. Scripture says if you will do that, you will be saved. This is what it means to have faith in God, church. To believe and submit. We all need this salvation. Some of you have already accepted this salvation. You've accepted this call, but some of you may not have. You may be sitting here today and you've been holding on to your own desires. You've been holding on to things that you think are going to make you happy. You keep holding on to things that you think are going to save your marriage, save your family, make you rich, give you everything you've ever wanted in life. But understand, nothing on this earth can give you what you're looking for. It will not give you what you are truly craving. Understand, what your mind and your body is truly craving, what you're trying to satisfy, is it's craving for its creator. Your body and your mind and your soul was created and designed to worship God. God created you that way. And if we don't, we'll start chasing everything else. But it's never enough, is it? Never has been. You were made to worship this gift. This gift that came in the most humble of ways. That brought good news. This gift is meant to be worshipped. And it was. Look at verse 13 through 14. 13 and 14 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Following this good news, the angel had given to the shepherds a multitude of heavenly hosts. This collection of angels came together surrounding these shepherds and began to praise God, to worship God because of this good news that Christ has come. And listen, we are called to worship God, reflecting on His goodness, reflecting on the point that Christ has come should lead us all to worship Him today, church. It should lead us to worship Him every day as we reflect on God's goodness. And we can worship Him through song, which we have done and will continue to do in a moment. But we can worship Him by just simply exclaiming with our voices, Glory to God in the highest. Praising the Lord, for He is glorious in all His ways. And we must remind ourselves daily that our salvation is not something to overlook. Our salvation is not something to take for granted. And this Christmas narrative is not just something to read once a year and forget. It is a blessed miracle that our Savior Jesus was willing to come, be our sacrifice, so that we could be saved from the penalty of sin. And that should lead all of us today, church, to respond in worship. Which is why here in a moment we're not only going to sing... But we're going to worship through observing the Lord's Supper. We're going to remind ourselves of the broken body and the shed blood that our Savior was willing to give up for us. And we're going to worship our Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus through taking of this Lord's Supper. But before we can do that, some things must take place first. 
First, if you have yet to believe and submit to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity to respond today. I want to give you an opportunity to answer the call to salvation so that you can worship with your new brothers and sisters in the faith, so that you can come together in joint union and take of the Lord's Supper and sing praises to our God. Maybe today you're in here and you recognize that you are lost, that you've put your faith in all kinds of other things and you have yet to do that. You've yet to put your faith in Jesus, that is. For each lost person in this room, understand God's calling to you. God's calling out to you. You're not here by accident. You're not just here because it's Christmas Eve and you had to come because your family made you. You are here because God got you here. And He's calling out to you to be saved today. So if that's you, if God is calling out to you, will you be saved today? Will you answer that call? Maybe you're in here and you are already a believer. You've come to celebrate, to worship our uh, birth of our Savior. You're going to have an opportunity to participate in the Lord's Supper. But as Paul told the church of Corinth, it must be taken in a worthy manner. Which means we've got to handle some things first. We don't just come up here and take the bread and the cup and that's it. Paul told us that we have to examine ourselves and we are to judge ourselves so that we will not bring judgment on ourselves as we take this bread and cup. So if you're a believer in here today and you plan to take the Lord's Supper, which all believers are welcome to take, you need to spend time with the Lord confessing sin and repenting of your sin today so that you will be able to take of this in a worthy manner. There's some ways you can do this. One way is you simply can come to this altar. You can stand or kneel. I get it. Not everybody's knees can get to the ground and get you back up. I get that. But you can stand right here at the altar and bow your head before the Lord and confess your sin to the Lord today. You can simply do that at your pew if you like. If you're just not physically able to come forward, that's okay too. But you can come before the Lord and confess your sins to Him and seek forgiveness and repentance. Maybe today you're in here and Christmas has been hard. Christmas has been a difficult season for you this year. And you just need prayer. You can seek prayer a few ways. You can come to this altar, like I said. You can pray to the Lord. You don't have to come confess sin. You can come pray to the Lord for whatever is burdening you today. Or I'll be up here in the front. I would love to pray with you if you need prayer. Or you can bring a brother or sister up with you. Maybe someone has been walking with you through your life journey and you say, I just need you to come pray with me. Look, I give you permission. You can leave your seat. You can walk across the aisle, grab a brother or sister and say, will you come pray with me? I promise that's okay. However the Lord is asking on you to respond today, will you be faithful to do so as we prepare to take of the Lord's Supper? Let's pray. Father God, we give you the praise and we give you the glory. God, you have been so good. God, as we reflect on this Christmas season, it's a great reminder to us of what you did by sending your one and only son to us. God, we don't deserve it. We are not worthy of it. But God, you were willing to give it to us anyway because you are faithful. You are loving. 
you're gracious. So God, for those who believe in here today, may this today be a reminder and lead us to worship. God, lead us to confess sin, to repent of that sin. God, I pray for the lost person that's in here today, God. I pray that you be with them, that you call them to salvation, that they would accept that call, they would answer it, and they would come forward, God, and proclaim that you have saved them today. God, be with the ones who are in here that are hurting, are going through a difficult time, through a difficult season. God, place your hand of comfort on them this morning. God, may we turn to you in prayer now. May we sing this song of worship. But God, more importantly, let us prepare our hearts to observe this Lord's Supper as you would intend us to do. God, we love you. We give you the praise and the glory. And it's in your son's holy name that I pray. Amen.